0: Pigeons, get your pigeons here. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers who were sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers, and he overturned their tables, and he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away, do not make my father's house a house of trade. Those are the words of Jesus when he encountered what was going on in the temple shortly after he arrived into Jerusalem. What does this have to do with our situations today? Well, let's talk about it. Welcome to Church Public. I'm Matt Odegaard. Thank you for tuning into Church Public. I certainly appreciate it. This is a listener-supported adventure, so uh, any help you can give, I do appreciate that as well. You can go to churchpublic.com if you have missed previous episodes, and of course, you can find the audio version on Apple and Google and Spotify and all the other places if you want to listen and give a review that is positive or negative. If you hate me, that's fine, too and go ahead and like and share it with your friends. I want the most people to find out the truth as possible. I think that's the most important thing. This is not about me. This is about people understanding what Jesus is really talking about and how to follow him. So today we are looking at a couple different things. I was Uh, As always, checking the news and checking some of the feeds. And I have been interested in what is going on in Australia. Most of you probably aren't. Most of you probably only look at America uh, or perhaps Canada if you are up there. Hat tip to those, our friends in the north. But Australia is an interesting case study right now. And I say case study because I think what's happening there is what will happen here. I believe that to be true. And you can ask the people in Australia, did they believe things were going to be the way they are in Australia? Because how could that happen in Australia? Of course not. They thought they were living in a Western and free country up until recently, when now they are again not a free country. We're going to talk more about that in just a moment. And we're going to talk specifically about some of the mandates that are coming out and specifically about some of those mandates that affect the church. Because as I mentioned, I hate I hate giving you tomorrow's news today. I hate telling the future. I don't mean to. I just look at all the facts that are happening and put them together and try and figure out What is this going to mean for us? And specifically, what is it going to mean for us as believers in this world? That is my whole goal. My whole goal is to use all of the knowledge, resources, information, and experience that I have and help you make sense of this crazy world from a biblical perspective so that you can go back into this world and not be a part of it, but live in it as a believer, bringing the light of Jesus of salvation. I hope that you can do that. But as we look at Australia, I do believe it is a test case. I do believe they are on the forefront of what is ultimately coming to America, Canada, England as well. And many of those things are already present in some of those countries in terms of lockdowns, in terms of mandates, in terms of the things that have already happened. And if you live in California or have lived in California or have read the news about California or New York or Washington or several other places across America, you know that many of these things are already happening here in America. So I get the argument that, oh, none of these things could ever happen here. The reality is they already are. So what we're talking about today is the mandates where you have to have two of the medical procedures. I'm using my words very carefully here, but I'll just go ahead and say two vaccinations, double shot to be allowed into a church. And that is what the government of Australia has recently Put forth that you have to have two of these shots before you can be allowed into places that are large gatherings of people and specifically churches. As I mentioned the other day, the Ezekiel declaration was put forward by a few pastors and now has been signed by thousands of pastors and tens of thousands of uh, attenders and other church leaders. Uh, I linked it in a previous episode, and I will uh, try to remember to link it in this episode as well. But you can you can search it and read it. It is great reading because I believe it is both well researched but also biblically based. The reason we're talking again about this today is that the website, the Gospel Coalition, over the weekend sent out a uh, a report. And this is the Australia edition, so you probably didn't see it in America because I don't believe it is in the American edition. But again, I'm watching these things, so you don't have to. And it talks about this issue again, whether there should be a mandate to allow people into churches. And they do give a caveat at the beginning of this. They give a caveat that this is just one person who is reporting. It's not necessarily, as they say, and I'll quote, Uh, we offer her reflections on vaccination and government health as a worthy contribution to our public discussion, not as the Gospel Coalition Australia policy, end quote. Though they do go on to say there is a different perspective that they link to. However, I went uh, went through the link and read it. And in fact, to me, as far as I can read, it is exactly the same perspective. So two of the same perspectives does not a different perspective make. At any rate, what I want to talk about today is starting with Jesus. And that is the quote that I started with from Jesus in John 2. And actually, uh, you can read it in several of the Gospels, but I'm going to read it out of Mark because I like some of the words of Mark. But I wanted to read the one from John because the one in John talks about Jesus making a whip. And time that Jesus gets his whip out, uh, you know it's serious. So I just want you to know that this is a serious matter. And Some of us don't understand what's going on here because, again, we weren't brought up in good Hebrew school and we're not good Hebrews, so we don't understand what's going on in the temple and we're not familiar with temple practices and we're not familiar with Hebrew, Jewish law and custom and what are are we talking about and why was Jesus so mad at this and why did he tip over the tables and throw their money all over the place and literally whip them out of this temple? What is this all about? And what does this have to do with us today? Well, that's what I want to look at. And so I do want to read out of Mark. Uh, I read you the version out of John and, and and both are good. They have a little bit different focus because the writers had a little bit different focus. And uh, that's a topic for another day. Why are there four gospels and what did the writers intend with each of their gospels? And they were a little bit different. But again, that's a topic for another day that we'll get to. So I want to read this, and uh, there's so much in here, and I, I tend to be one who gets caught up in all of the nuance because I love it, and I love the history, and I love how Jesus connects things that happen in his day and things that happen uh, before and that will happen after, and so these are important things. But what I'm going to start with is Mark 11:15, and I'm going to read about Jesus' interaction with these people in the temple. He says, 15. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple again and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers, the benches of those selling doves, and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And he taught them, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill them, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Now, Again, if you don't understand what's going on here, you think Jesus just got mad at something, went and flipped some tables over. But listen to the words here. The leaders of the church then wanted to kill Jesus. Obviously, he did something that was so egregious to the church that they were willing to kill him over it. What is going on here? What is going on in this situation? And that's what I want to talk about today, because I think it has a bearing on what we are dealing with, both in Australia and beginning to deal with in America as well. And if you're in England or Canada, it's happening there too. So the 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 phrase that I started with was "get your pigeons here," and I see it in sort of that way. Many of you have been to sporting events, of course, not in the last year because everything has been closed. Now some are beginning to open, but Get Your Pigeons Here is the way that a Cracker Jack or peanut salesman would be walking around the stadium yelling for you to buy their wares, their foods and things, so that you can enjoy your experience. And really, that's not much different than what is going on here. What I want to tell you about, again, if you didn't know, in in the history of Judaism, in the history of the temple, and some of the idiosyncrasies of what's going on here, as we know, on this side of history, from Jesus, his goal was to save all people. His goal is to show you and everyone that God loves you, John 3, 16, and others. So, in this time, that was not accessible. You could only go to the temple if you were a God-fearing Jew. You had to be a Jew. You had to show that you were a Jew, so there were other people in the world at this time obviously right those were called gentiles like you and me us dirty gentiles but there was one area of the temple there was one area of the temple set aside and this area was for those that followed after god they were not jewish so they were dirty gentiles and i say dirty intentionally You could be a clean Jew, you could be an unclean Jew, and everyone else who was not a Jew, of course, was also unclean. This is just the view that Jews had, and rightly so, based on some of the scriptures. And yet, you can go all the way back to Abraham, who was promised that he would be the father of nations, and that people would believe in God and follow God through him. As Jesus shows us, and we read through Hebrews and many other places, The point of Abraham was to allow all to enter into the kingdom of God through Jesus and his sacrifice. In this moment, again, we didn't know that. The Jews could have known it if they had really read, but the Gentiles only knew God was the way and they needed to follow after God. So I want to read from you a little bit out of Isaiah, and this is Isaiah 56. Because Isaiah 56 uh, is this quote that Jesus gives. Jesus says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Jesus points to the fact that it's supposed to be for all nations. But what's happening here is not all nations. And what these people were doing was selling these wares, selling their sacrifices to those That needed to sacrifice. In other words, they were monetizing religion. And I think this is an important thing to keep in mind. They were setting up these tables in this one area where Gentiles who were not clean, according to Jewish law, could enter and enter into the worship of God. So these people who were deemed unclean by the culture of Judaism, the religious leaders and others, had one place they could go. And instead of being able to go there and freely worship, what they were caused to do was buy these exorbitantly priced sacrifices that got them a little bit closer to God, in order to fulfill some of the religious rites and 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 religions. And this Jesus sees rightly so as a problem. He says out of Isaiah 56, this is supposed to be a house of prayer for all the nations, but what the Jews and either the money changers or religious leaders. Or both. Again, the religious leaders may have either turned a blind eye to them making money here, or as we know from some of the other interactions, Jesus and other histories that we have, they probably were taking a cut out of this too. It probably was a money changing extravaganza. And Jesus says, No, out of Jeremiah 7, you have made it a den of robbers. You're stealing from people who want to just go and worship God. So, Isaiah 56 starts out saying, maintain justice and do what is right. Let no foreigner, this is verse five, who has bound himself to the Lord, say the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. He, Isaiah talks about, people who are following after God. There are eunuchs who keep the Sabbath. He says there are foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord. He says, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. This is God talking. Their offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, the sovereign Lord declares. But he who gathers the exiles in the house of Israel will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. <clears throat> and then he actually talks about those that oppose them and that would be the Jews and the people selling these sacrifices to the Gentiles that want to go and worship in God's house. And God says, "They are welcome in his house." Jesus says, "You are the temple of of God. Your body is the temple. We're going to talk about that more in a moment, but I think this is really important. This is really important because we are now entering a time when the culture, the government, and now some churches and church leaders are saying you cannot enter into or should not even enter into the house of God unless you have certain medical procedures. This should not be the way. It is, I believe, vastly parallel to these passages that Jesus cared very strongly for, so strongly that he reacted with what you could say is righteous anger towards those that were barring people from going into the church. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is established by Christ. The church is ruled over by Christ. Those leaders that are in control of it on this earth are not really in control of it. They can over. They can uh, oversee the 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 rituals, they can oversee the sacraments, they can oversee the order of the church, but the authority of the church does not rest with them. The authority of the church rests with God alone, period. And really, you are the body of Christ. We're going to talk about that more in a moment. So I think the important thing to note, they give four points on why these passports are important for churches. And I want to go through each one of these four and really refute them in a way, because it is just not right to establish the church in this way. It really is not. We've talked about this in previous episodes, but it creates two classes of citizens, and God doesn't like that. God doesn't want disparity and distinction in between his people. Galatians Three uh, says, again, that it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Greek or slave or free or vaccinated or unvaccinated. You are welcome at the foot of the cross. You are welcome in God's kingdom. And yet we're starting to create these lines that are human lines, not God-given lines. There are only two types of people in the world, those that follow after God and those that do not. There is light, there is dark, there is good and evil. Those are the only designations that make any difference in God's kingdom. And this is ultimately true according to scripture. This isn't me talking. This is God who separates, in Matthew 25, people into sheep and goats, those that followed after Jesus and those that did not. Those are the only things. When we, people of this earth, create and set up barriers for others to come to God, we end up in this place that Jesus talked about where people are barring worship of God. Jesus does not look fondly on that. So I want to look at some of these things briefly. Number one, they said we are supposed to love our neighbors and this is in support of vaccine passports. We're supposed to love our neighbors and therefore we should get the vaccine and therefore we should be in support of the vaccine passport. I agree we should love our neighbors, that is, Jesus, second and most important command. Love God, and the the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. But what does that mean? Lately, and my high schooler has, has brought me onto this, I grew up in a time when you would wear these silly bracelets that said WWJD, what would Jesus do? Lately, apparently, this trend is back. The bracelets are back. In Christian circles, what would Jesus do? What I didn't know though is there is an answer to it now, and the answer is H W O. He would love others, or he would love others first, or something like that. And I didn't know that was that was the answer, but this is apparently the answer. He would love others. But the reason I wanted you to sh- I wanted to show you this story of Jesus overturning the temple tables is what does his love look like? We can say with glee that what would jesus do and he would love others and that is ultimately true but what does that love look like i can guarantee to those that were sitting at the tables with their according to them hard-earned money being strewn around and he is literally cracking a whip to kick them out of the temples they may not have felt love in that instance But was what he did loving? Of course it was. And the reason it was, is he was fighting for you and me, us dirty Gentiles who have no place in the temple of God. According to Jewish law, according to God's law, we have no place in the temple of God. However, Jesus knew something they did not know, should have known, but did not know, that we are welcome into the temple of God. And in fact, we become the temple of God. Again, we'll get to that in just a moment. So what does loving look like? Does loving mean we comply with all of the religious leaders' orders? Does loving people mean we comply with all of the government orders because the government is correct and the government has our best interest in mind? Or do we follow after Jesus? And the reality is there have been many instances recorded through history in the Bible where people did not comply with the government's orders and yet were found righteous, like Rahab, who lied to the government leaders in hiding the people of God, like Moses, who fought against Pharaoh and saved the people of God, like Moses' mom, who did not comply with the order to kill her child, and on and on and on. Uh, Jesus himself did not comply with many of the orders that the government gave, which again led to his death. And I'm not saying we should just willy-nilly go against the government. Of course not. I've done many episodes about that. But we need to follow God first. And in following God and in loving others, we have to decide what is right and what is love and what is blind obedience. And that leads to the second point of their second point is obey our leaders. Romans 13, 1. They say, quote, our government has a legitimate God-given responsibility to protect the safety of its citizens and safeguard the interests of the most vulnerable. It is not overstepping the boundaries of its mandate if it requires religious groups to install smoke detectors in their buildings, end quote. Ah, the old smoke detector ruse. So here's the deal, and I've heard this, I've heard this a bunch of times lately. If you put smoke detectors in your building, it's just the same as a vaccine passport as a vaccine mandate to allow people into a building because you're following the government's mandates. No, it's not the same. It's not the same at all. No, I'm sorry. That that's not the same. It's not right like smoke detectors and medical procedures are not in the same category. Can can we Can we agree on this? A smoke detector is a thing that sure is mandated by the government to make you aware if there is danger in the form of a fire in your building. A medical procedure is something you should decide is right for you. If the government says you have to do this medical procedure to live your life, then they are encroaching on your autonomy and they are telling you that you do not have the right over your own body, which of course is not true. For instance, as we read in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. In other words, you can go back and listen to the rest of, or or read the rest of this interchange, but Your body is not, in fact, even your own. Your body belongs to God. Therefore, you need to exercise your conscience in seeking after God in the power of the Holy Spirit to know what is right for your body. That's why Paul says everything, in fact, is permissible. You can do whatever you want, but not everything is beneficial and you need to follow God and figure out what that means for you. You have limited authority over your own body in that you get to, through your free will, make some of those decisions the government, the church, other people do not have authority over your body. In fact, if others decide to unrighteously, in other words, or unjustly, if you have done something wrong, if you have done something evil, if you have broken other covenant things, then other people do have the authority to enforce upon you righteous judgment. That's just true of society. However, if for no reason other than safety, the government or the church or other people say you have to undergo a medical procedure. That is not their proper authority. It is not unjust for you to exercise your conscience to, to use your uh, bodily autonomy. And we're actually going to talk about that. That's actually their point three, which is interesting. And this whole argument kind of goes to pieces there at that point, according to them, but we'll get to that in a moment. The smoke detector and your body are not the same thing. So this autonomy, this self-rule is given by God and it is given in part to you. No one else has autonomy over your body. There may be times when the government can step in with limited authority to recommend certain procedures. In these instances, we have to again check the risk assessment, which is what I keep coming back to again and again. I'll continue with this illogical article saying what they said, quote, there are situations which our duty as Christians to love God and seek the good of our neighbors may require us to stand in civil disobedience against an unjust law, but it would be a rare situation which a conscience required us to disobey public health measures put in place by a democratically elected government, end quote. This statement is just totally illogical because it says two different things. One, there are situations we have to obey God, not government. True. I've said that. I agree with that 100%. And I've given examples. I've given biblical examples. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Rahab, on and on. Second, this statement says, the democratically elected government has our best interest in mind. That is what they mean when they say it must be a rare situation to disobey the public health measures put in place by a democratically elected government. Does the government have your best interest in mind when has this been true in recent history? When has any policy put forth by the government had your best interest in mind and not necessarily their power and their power growing? It it's We are on a slippery slope here in that these health measures are not necessarily for everyone's health. And we see that. And we see that according to the numbers. I looked at numbers in another episode. I'm not going to go through them again today, but... At the very least, we can cite the CDC, this is not me, the CDC saying still that the survival rate of this particular virus is somewhere in the 99 percentile for everyone. And it goes up as ages go down. And yet we're told that for the sake of all of humanity, we must get this medical procedure in order to save the less than 1% of humanity with possible side effects. All I can say is it's possible. Anything's possible, right? And that's what we're talking about. What is possible? What is right? What is the risk assessment you decide to take? Third. Respect the conscience of others. This is their point, and I wholeheartedly agree. We should respect the conscience of others. They cite Romans 14. They go on to say, quote, those who are genuinely convinced it would be morally wrong for them to accept the vaccine should not be coerced into sinning against their conscience, end quote. Again, wholeheartedly, I agree with that statement. People who are convinced in their conscience it would be morally against their conscience to accept this should be allowed to take that judgment. Yes, correct. Then they go on to say, but there should not be a but in the sentence. It, that should be the end of the sentence. And yet they have to add this addendum because the point here is we have to follow what people say. They say, but conscientious objection usually comes at cost of some sort and the safety of most vulnerable members of the church and the wider community should not be held hostage to the desire of others to do as they please, irrespective of government health, according to the risk of others. That is a terrible guilt trip that is being put on those that, in the first sentence, have a conscientious objection. According to their conscience, they have searched, they have done a risk assessment, they have decided that, according to their conscience, they want to follow God and not the government. But, as this article says, this objection may hold others hostage. That is really strong tyrannical wording. And it's tyrannical in the sense that if you do not follow the thing that I tell you to do, you are endangering the whole of society. In this instance, that is technically and statistically not true. Again, if we're talking about, according to the CDC, 99% survival, you are not holding people hostage if you choose to make your own medical decision. And that's not even the biggest thing. Again, the clarity of your conscience should be the bottom line. That should be the period, the full stop of the sentence. But it is not because this is not about safety. It is about control. It is you need to do what I'm telling you to do. And that makes me very wary of moving back into this place where people are sitting in front of the temple saying, here is my dotted line. Have you signed it? Will you sign it? Will you commit to signing it before going in to worship God? Do people have the authority to sit in front of the temple and say, in order for you to worship God, you must sign this decree? In order for you to worship God, you must bow down in front of the idol? In order for you to worship God, you must not pray or only pray to me? In order for you to worship God, you must get this medical procedure? That is very close to the issue that Jesus was dealing with for me. I just cannot sign off on that. I cannot sign off on something that would allow the barring of those that are deemed unclean that cannot go into worship. I am not scared of you. I am not scared of you killing me. Paul says, to live as Christ, to die is gain. If you end up killing me, there are people in my life that probably would be sad. And yet, I would be in a better place because I would be with Jesus. I want you to have this feeling that on this earth, your mission is, as this article says, to love God and love one another. Therefore, uh, as Paul says, we should, through all measures, by all things, become to all people so that we can win them to Christ. This seems like a measure that would disallow people from getting into the church. And I'm going to get to their conclusion in just a moment, but there is a number four. Their number four says, prioritize the weak and the most vulnerable. 1 Corinthians 12, 21 through 26. Uh, I'm maybe read their quote in a moment, but I agree with this statement. In fact, this is one of my biggest statements for fighting against abortion because those that are most vulnerable and cannot fight for themselves must have us to stand up for them. In this case, I believe the same to be true. And in fact, we can protect those that are most vulnerable to this disease. It's actually very simple. We know who they are, statistically speaking, and we can do measures to help them avoid this. For everyone else, where it is statistically low risk, we need to get on with our lives and we need to live and not live in fear. The spirit of fear is a demon. It is not truth. It is not life. It is not following Jesus. I will read part of their quote here. It is our duty to the wider public and our care for the congregation. We are to prioritize the needs of the weakest and most vulnerable. Again, I agree. This is the case when, and perhaps especially when, they do not have a loud voice of their own to broadcast their opinions and lobby for their rights, end quote. Now, of course, in this context, they're saying that those that are vulnerable medically should be fought for. I think they're actually making the opposite case here. I think the people that have been silenced the most in this worldwide are those that don't want to comply with what the government is mandating them to do across the globe. I think the opposite case is what they've accidentally made. I think they've made the case, and I agree with the fact that those that don't have a loud voice of their own to broadcast their opinions, (laughs) that is those that don't want to go through with this. Everyone else on the planet is saying go through with this Or else, that's what this article is saying. If you don't go through with this, you don't get to go to worship. You don't get to go to uh, practice the presence of God with your fellow believers if you don't follow these rules. Those are the people that are getting silenced here. And it makes me crazy that people don't see this. So I want to get to their conclusion quickly at the end here. Their conclusion yes we should bar people from entering the church if not vaxxed. That is their conclusion. As I read this article, that is all I can conclude. They would like to bar people if they are not vaccinated. And the people themselves, all of the people, should be happy about this because they are protecting the chosen or the obedient. And they go on to say, maybe in the future we can meet with them outdoors if we feel safe enough. And in the meantime, they can just watch church online, presumably forever. So I ask you, which sounds more loving? keeping people out of church because they don't meet medical requirements or those that mandate you follow certain laws before you can enter the fellowship of believers, which sounds more like Jesus and which sounds more like the religious leaders and money changers. There is only one right answer to this question and I hope you choose wisely. As always, God bless you and I do hope that you will keep the faith.